Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome to another episode of the In The Pen Podcast, part of the Pitchless Podcast Network. I am Cal, and also joined as always with Rick Graham and Jay Crumpler. And guys, we've been jinxing it all offseason. We've been saying, luckily we haven't got any injuries, luckily we haven't got injuries, and we've been feeling good about it. And then Wednesday happened, and we saw what happened to Edwin Diaz, and we'll get to that in just a minute. So that's kind of picked a little damper on this week's episode, but we're going to power through. Luckily, this happens to be the same week we're going to be doing a National League bullpen preview, so it kind of works out. So we'll get all the Mets talks and everything going into it, but... Guys, we've had a busy couple of days, especially some of our drafts. We started the pitcherless staff leagues. So how's it how's it going? Besides Edwin Diaz injury, how's a how's your week been going? Yeah, I mean that aside, it's it's I, this is one of my favorite weekends. It's you know it's not baseball related, but March Madness the first weekend. You know, just bat, games on all day long, and then you know add in the World Baseball Classic kind of wrapping up here. Some big some big games this weekend tomorrow night with Puerto Rico and Mexico, and then Saturday night with the U.S. and Venezuela, pretty pretty good weekend for sports fans, but yeah, last last night was tough. Such a weird, fluky thing that you just it's just just you hate to see it. Definitely disappointing. Uh, been a weird week for me. I was telling you guys before we hit record that I got my wisdom teeth removed and then I lost power. So been a a weird week in general. And then to cap it off with the top closer in baseball going down, it's been up and down to say the least. So. I'm excited to talk some National League bullpens and hoping that we don't have to sort of update our rankings going forward due to any other catastrophic injuries. I just wish we got a chance to record while you were under the weather from your wisdom teeth. That would have been, a, <laughs> I feel like that would have been interesting. I'm, I'm wondering how high you would have uh, talked about Pete Fairbanks if while you were. <laughs> Number one that, closer. So. Yep. I mean, we'd go do that any week, so I guess it's not a normal, yeah. di- different from a normal week for us. But <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's fun hearing, seeing our group chat go crazy over some of the pictures in the WBC and some of the stuff we're seeing. It's good to be talking actual baseball again and not just the, uh, you know, offseason moves and speculation. We can actually have data to talk about, and it's been it's been fun outside of what we said. We'll get right into it as we always do with the news and. If, if you're listening to this, it's not the first time you're hearing this. Edwin Diaz has a torn patellar tendon and is going to be out for the season. He injured it during the Puerto Rico's 5-2 victory over the Dominican Republic in the final game of the WBC, of the first round of the WBC for them to advance to the quarterfinals. It was weird. It definitely was one of those things I did not expect to see. I It flipped over to Team USA for me, so I didn't even get to see it live. All signed to see our Discord go crazy about Edwin Diaz, and I honestly thought someone was playing a joke. I did not expect it to actually be real, and then I saw the highlight, and it was a tough scene, especially seeing Alexis Diaz in tears, oh. and all the Puerto Rican mm-hmm. players in tears, and even Team Dominican Republic out just uh, trying to give him support. It was not a not a fun scene, but we're a fantasy podcast, so we got to talk about the fantasy implications of this. 
where does this leave? Now we know he's out for the season. There's no more speculating on him. If you're going to be drafting a Mets reliever, who's the favorite now? Who is that a committee? Where are you guys leaning towards if you're trying to find saves now on a team we know is going to be very good? Yeah, it's, you know, for, first of all, I just want to like, I'm kind of sick of seeing like the people blaming the WBC or the mm-hmm. World Baseball Classic for this because it's just such a fluky thing and just, I mean, it could it could happen literally. I mean, just look at Mariano Rivera, you know, in the outfield during batting practice, just blows out his Achilles. I mean, it, it can happen to anyone at any time. And just, you know, the World Baseball Classic, it has some flaws, but for the most part, it's a great product. And it's like, you know, it's, it's very enjoyable. So I, you know, it's not a World Baseball Classic issue. It's just a weird, fluky thing that just you know sucks that it happened so you know moving forward with the Mets I think you know you're looking at a three-headed committee with Ottavino Robertson and Brooks Raley um it looks I mean if I were to guess I'm thinking Robertson probably gets the bulk of those I mean it might be like a 40-30-30 split um between those three and Robertson getting the most shares um you know, I, I saw, I think it was SNY posted an article about this, and they only mentioned Robertson and Rayleigh. They didn't even mention Ottavino as a potential replacement. So found that a little bit interesting. I think they like Ottavino more, um, you know, in a, the, that fireman type role. So I, I think Robertson, with his experience as a closer, is the first, you know, first man up to, to replace Diaz. But I, I don't know. It's a tough, tough to tough tasks to, uh, to, you know, to handle there. Totally. I, uh, would love to echo the sentiments that you have about the WBC. I think, like you said, just a fluke injury, things like these would happen even in regular spring training games. If you want to blame the celebrating, the Mets were practicing, celebrating winning the world series last spring training. So you can't really blame that either. So it's just an unfortunate thing that happens every once in a while. I mean, people get injured like this, just doing normal everyday things around their home. So mm. it's, it's just a disappointing thing that happens in, in a otherwise great event. But in terms of the Mets bullpen, I don't think I have any other takes that would go against what Rick said. I think David Robertson is probably the favorite here. He's got the most history of closing games. Ottavino's the same age as he is, but they, they were both equally as good last year. And Brooks Raley will probably be the left-handed counterpart there. Uh, the biggest question I have though is how this shakes up the overall closing situation around the mm-hmm. league rather than yeah. the Mets specifically. Like it's clearly that Emmanuel Classe is the top closer off the board now, but does this raise his value even more that he's going to be so far and away the best closer in baseball? I think you really make a good point there. I could easily see Classe just in our standard leagues he probably go in the second round in some leagues now just for some people wanting to secure the clear lockdown we've talked about it there's a clear top two tier and all of us have i think a different number three closer in terms of how we value it so yeah i think you could easily see emmanuel class go in that second round and really just people reaching to make sure you know if we want to secure saves i want to get the the best guy out there so i think that's a really good point something i hadn't even put too much thought into i was always looking more at the mets side of it but I definitely could see Class A being a, a major riser of his coming weekend in drafts. Yeah, that um, 
you know, I know haters up there, but I still don't trust him. So, yeah, it's really class A. And, yeah, you might be looking at someone maybe in, you know, Roto leagues where saves are hard to find. It's like a second, a late second round pick now for class A, which is crazy. But I, I, I can see that happening. I, I wonder, too, like I would agree with you guys that David Robertson is probably the guy I would be the most interested in but i think it becomes and we'll get to this in a little bit when we start going through the team by team breakdown the national league has so many committees there are a lot of teams where it's just like maybe it's this guy maybe it's that guy i feel like it's a definitely more than we had last week in the american league i think robertson's the favorite but the way they use Ottavino at points last year where he was kind of even coming in in a ninth while diaz was getting the big outs in like the eighth going into the ninth so I don't know, but they did just go out, seek out Robertson. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. I hope we get a more clear picture of us in the coming weeks before opening day, which is two weeks from the day we're recording this and more than likely that you're listening. So very, very interested. It becomes another muddy situation that we don't like to talk about, but we have to talk about at some mm-hmm. point. And speaking of muddy situation, we'll get more in depth into this team in just a, just a few minutes as we get into breakdowns. But Mark Melanson is unlikely to be uh, ready for opening day. We'll get to the Dimebacks, but just real quick, do you have a clear favorite still in Arizona? I know we kind of had Melanson as like unlikely to be the guy we were most interested in, but do we have a, a favorite for him? Um, <laughs> so I, I think... I don't think I had Melanson as the closer in my rankings, but I had absolutely no. That's just because of his history and they paid him to be the closer. I think that's the only reason why, because we haven't, there's been really no in, like inclination of who might be the closer here or what they're planning on doing. So it's still, you know, it narrows the field a little bit. And now it's, you know, ends up being more of a four man race instead of a five or six person race. But you know, it's still, to me, it's going to probably be, I mean, I'm starting to get on the Miguel Castro bandwagon a little bit, I think, just based on this, like this, the skills there and, you know, what, what else they have in that bullpen. He seems like maybe the best fit, but it, it's, it's really a, a toss up here. I, I, it's, I wish I, I wish I could like have something for you, but it's, it's anyone's, you know anyone's game here (laughs) yeah crazy that we lost one other member of this bullpen and it's still so murky it's difficult to decide between all the arms that they have there whether you want to go with somebody that has history in the role or had success last year or is like the closer of the future it's really hard to tell um i'm leaning scott mcgo right now but i really have no idea what's going on here yeah i don't know what to think i think i lean same way with mcguff but I don't know. We'll get more in depth on this team in just a moment, but that's really it for the injury front. Luckily, we've had... Luckily, that's the only thing. Hopefully, we were done. Hopefully, this is our one big injury we talk about, and next week when we do our regular pure old predictions episode, we can have a nice normal episode and not have to talk about a, a season-end injury to the best closer and one of the most entertaining pitchers in all of baseball, especially with the walkout music. So, let's, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed, but as a reminder, also... Name to monitor going forward. Zach Britton and Corey Knable are still a free agent. It would not shock me in the slightest to see the Mets go out and get Zach Britton and then put even more of a, 
muddy the waters even more in New York. I don't think he'd go immediately as the closer, but he's definitely a name to monitor because they were, if I'm remembering correctly, at his showcase and watching him closely. So it would not shock me in the coming days to see Zach Britton in a New York Met uniform and at some point getting some saves with the Mets. Am I crazy to think that? No, that seems very, very much so like a Mets type move, especially, I mean, they've been bringing veterans left and right. So, um, yeah, I think Britton would make sense for them. But I I think ultimately this probably ends up being, you know, they're, they're going to trade for someone probably around, you know, maybe even before, well before the deadline, um, someone like a Scott Barlow or David Bednar. So, you know, the Mets have been aggressive adding pieces, and I don't see why they would stop just because of this Edwin Diaz injury. Yep. Yeah. It, and as always, when you talk about the, Selling teams, they could also go and trade for David Bednar or Alexis Diaz or something. So let's see what happens. The Mets, like you said, they're not afraid to make moves. But well, for us, we'll get more into those guys in just a moment. But we're going to start diving into these teams just like we did with the American League. We're going to get into each team in the National League, go through our pens, our favorites, our sleepers, and just try and make sense of some of the confusing pens and give you some names to monitor going forward as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. And like we did last week, we'll start in alphabetical order. And we just talked about them. But the Arizona Diamondbacks, we talked about kind of our favorite. Rick was talking about he's in the Miguel Castro bandwagon. I've kind of been interested in him as well. And also Scott McGuff. But with that confusion, is there anybody even worth drafting in Arizona? Or because the, confu- the situation is so wide open, does it even worth our time to consider drafting a Diamondback reliever? I see. I don't think it's worth. I think it's probably best to stay away from this unless you're in really deep leagues right now. But that's not to say I. I, I think there's you know four or five relievers here who are at least interesting. That if they do show that they can, um, you know, kind of take this job and run with it, uh, they're definitely worth rostering. I, I mean, you talk about um, Castro and Miguel. I think the two lefties too. I think Chafin and Mantiply are both. You know have some upside um, themselves. And then, you know, I think we're maybe sleeping on Kevin Ginko a little bit. I know he, it's, it's been a rough like year and a half, um, you know, for him, but he's been pitching. You know, I like how he's, he's already working on, you know, he's pitching every other day for them pretty much in spring training and he, strikeouts aren't there, but um, you know, as far as velocity goes, it's fine. Spin rates are up a little bit. So interesting. Um, just interesting looking at Ginkle and, you know, maybe he's kind of getting lost in that picture. Definitely wouldn't touch this bullpen in a shallow league. <clears throat> There's just too many options here. There's too little clarity and there, there are better shots at, at taking uh, dart throws at the end of draft. So unless you're in a really deep league, I, I don't see any reason to do this or in a saves plus holds league. I feel like that's probably a good spot to do that because if you do miss out on the closer, you're likely getting at least a handful of holds. But yeah, I mean, Rick said it pretty well. It's it's pretty hard to figure out not only who's the most talented reliever here, but who sort of has the leg up right now. It seemed like Melanson would have been that guy because he was the closer last year. He's sort of the veteran guy out there. I think he wants to be the closer to close out his career. But now that he's out of the way, I think you can sort of make the argument that it gets even murkier just because these guys don't really differentiate themselves. You got two lefties and three righties. So it's not really like a handedness thing. That's going to make the decision either. I think 
Mantiply is a great option. I think he's going to have a lot of holds if he doesn't get a lot of saves. He's very solid in that he doesn't walk anybody and he was has a really good sinker. And I think the unknown surrounding McGough is pretty interesting as well. He's also been really good in spring training across six games and five and two thirds innings pitch. He has no earn runs allowed and a 0.18 whip with seven strikeouts. So he's been pretty successful. It's hard to take anything from spring training stats, but the fact that he's had so much success in the, in Japan and MPB prior to coming over sort of gives me a little confidence that the unknown factor there sort of gives him a higher ceiling than the rest of them. But I mean, Chafin and Castro are like the two veteran guys that, you know, would be able to hold down the role pretty well, would be really good trade candidates at this point in the, their careers. And Ginkle seemed like the closer of the future for the last few years. So as you can tell, I mean, I just went through five names and each one of them has their has a case to be made. So, I mean, I think that explains itself why this bullpen is so difficult to figure it out. But yeah, I, I just don't see any point in wasting a draft pick that late on some guy like this when you could go for a different reliever on a different team that sort of has a clearer role and maybe will be easier to drop early on in the season once you get an idea what his role is going to be. Because like here, I mean, even when the season starts, even through the first month, they could split saves. It could be a committee and you still like will have no clarity over which one of the five guys has the role. So there's just just too much uncertainty, too much uh, too much of the same guy all over the place. It's really difficult to figure out which one to like the most. So if I were to throw a dart at anybody, I think it would be McGough and Mantiply. Um, but yeah, probably stay away from that one. Yeah, I think you're right. It's the only one that I'm going to touch in a, a deep league or in a safe plus hold because everyone's going to be involved, which makes holds very easy to come. And I think the Diamondbacks are a team that's going to play close to 500 baseball this year, which means that there's going to be enough save opportunities. I'll play teams close, which will mean good things for us if only they had a clear picture. I'm with you where McGuff's probably my favorite, but I'm going to continue to be on the Miguel Castro sleeper idea because of what we always say. He's always had that stuff we've all liked, and now he gets to go with one of the better pitching coaches in baseball and Brett Strom. So there may be something that can be unlocked there. So I'm hoping to to get that. He might be the guy, same thing I was talking about touting Ian Kennedy last year. That might be my Miguel Castro for this year. So we'll see. But... I gotta ask if there are any sleepers in this bullpen, but like Jake said, we just ran through five, six different guys. So I, I don't, I, I don't know. Oh God! I was gonna say I think there, uh, there are some sleepers, but they're in the minors and they might not be ready this year. But the, they do have. I was trying to, you know, go through some potential minor league um, relief prospects, and they do seem to have a bunch um, of potential options: uh, Justin Martinez, Carlos, Carlos Vargas. Uh, I know some people have mentioned Mitchell Stumpo. Um, Luis Frias. I mean, some, some, yeah, there's like a bunch of guys. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, there's guy. There, there's some interesting and maybe a starter turns into a reliever at some point, like a Dre Jameson. Um, he would be, a, could be a really elite closer with his stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think maybe that's the answer mid season is it's going to be one of these guys that starts the year in triple A or double A. Let's go from a situation where we have no idea who's going to be there over to probably one of the most safe bets in all of the National League, and that's Rise Iglesias with the Atlanta Braves, a guy that all three of us have touted as uh, someone we really like, a guy who I just drafted in one of my uh, PL community leagues in like the 10th round, where I also had Edwin Diaz, and luckily I was able to get Rise Iglesias, so I'm not exactly as hurting for saves as I thought I might be. 
But so we don't need to talk too much about Iglesias. I think we've all talked about him as a guy we're targeting. He's probably one of our favorites in that second tier. So real quick, are you, you know, is there any, are you full on confident with Rizal Iglesias? He's had some ups and downs throughout his past couple of years. The Angels, he's pretty safe at this point, right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I actually just put him on our uh, pitcher list, like staff projections, predictions. I had him as the saves leader for the season. So I, I'm i fully on board with Iglesias this year. I think um, it's a great spot. It's, you know, weird. The Angels trade is still weird to me because, like, he's like the one yeah. piece that they, they could really use right now. Um, but. Yeah, he landed in a good spot, you know, now that he's got the role to himself with Kenley, Kenley Jansen out, out. So uh, the only concern, I guess, is, you know, Minter and Jimenez behind him are really good. So there's, you know, if there's any sorts of trouble with, with Iglesias, they could, you know, make a change there pretty quickly to Minter or Jimenez. Um but at the same on the same at the same time, it's you know, Minter and Jimenez are gonna be able to get the ball to him with a lead, hopefully. So he should mm-hmm. have plenty of save opportunities. To me, Iglesias is the second safest reliever or closer in, in baseball. I, I just think if you look at all of the other guys that are sort of going in that second tier of closers after class A, they sort of all have something, a little knock that you can pose against them, whether that's like Hader struggling last year, um, Presley having injuries or some guys being on worse teams than the Braves. I feel like Iglesias is super safe and I might have him as like the three or four closer in baseball, or I guess with Diaz out the, the two or three closer right now, which is crazy to say, I don't think he has the, the skills. I don't think he's the third best reliever by skills, but the fact that he's on the Braves, the fact that he's got the role, the fact that he's been super safe across the last couple of years, super consistent. And the fact that, like you said, he's got these guys that will be able to get him the ball in the ninth inning with a solid lead and such a great offense. I think he's going to have so many opportunities to close down games. And as long as he is able to maintain what he's been doing over the past couple of years, which with a really solid three pitch mix, I just have so much confidence in him. But I think that's where the, the safety ends because you can sort of use the argument that he has these backup guys in Minter and Jimenez and Nick Anderson, guys that could also take over the closer role if he were to go down. Like I, The Braves aren't going to mess around. They're not going to let him blow a bunch of games and sort of revert back to what he was a few years ago and just let him ride out the whole season. Like They have no obligation to do so. They could easily just plug Minter in there, plug Jimenez, plug McHugh or Nick Anderson in there and feel – just as safe as they did before because their bullpen is so deep. So I think that's where the lack of safety resides is that the rest of that bullpen is so good and the Braves have such high hopes for this season that they can't really mess around if Iglesias does falter early in the season. Yeah, I would agree. And I think both all those guys you mentioned, Minter, Jimenez, even Nick Anderson, Colin McGue, they're all great guys to get in a safe plus holds league. Do you have a favorite, I guess, of the four? Like if something... God forbid what happened to Rizal Iglesias. Does Minter step in his next guy up, or is it because he's a lefty? Do they go to Jimenez? Is there a, a guy you target in that sort of situation? I think they would still go. I think they would go to Minter. I think he deserves a shot. I, they do have some. I mean, Dylan Lee is really good. Uh, another lefty they have in their bullpen, and Lucas Lukey, or, you know, there's two lefties there outside of Minter. So I think he should get a chance first. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Nick Anderson, I kind of forgot about. He's still his velocity is still kind of way down from what we used to. But if he or I mean, Kirby Yates is there. Kirby Yates was the best closer in baseball four years ago or whatnot. So they they do have options for sure. Definitely guys with closer experience. Um, but Minter coming off last season, I think he's the guy they go to. I agree. Minter's clearly the second best reliever in this bullpen. So I'll just skip over and go straight to the sleepers. And the guy that I got is actually the oldest guy in this bullpen, or I guess that's if you're not counting Kirby and Lucas Lukey, but Colin McHugh's 35. I think Mm -hmm. this is either his age 35 or 36 season. And he's been super consistent across the last few years, actually, Uh, even dating back to his days as a starter with the Astros. He just has really always been really good. I think he's super underrated. He's one of those guys that can also eat a couple of innings as well. What has me touting him as a sleeper in deep leagues or or save plus holds leagues is how he rates out in PLV. So when I wrote um, five pitchers, PLV absolutely loves, I sort of skipped over relievers, but I gave them a little section to just note the top relievers among PLV. Uh, I'll run down the the top. uh, I think that's seven guys right now in PLV, all with above 5.35 overall PLV. Obviously, top of the list, we got our boy Pete Fairbanks. Number two, we got Manuel Classe. Then we got Andres Munoz. We got rest in peace Edwin Diaz. And number five is Colin McHugh ahead of Devin Williams and Yohan Duran. So the fact that his stuff stands out that much and is amongst clearly the top seven relievers in all of baseball is pretty crazy. So I think you sort of have to keep that in the back of your mind. I don't think he ends up getting any saves this year, but if you are in a league where you're counting holds, I think that's a guy that you really have to take and he's going to be at a discount because he's so old, because that bullpen is so deep and because I don't think anybody's really thinking about him. Sorry, I stopped listening as soon as you said Pete Fairbanks. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Colin McHugh has been a name that always has generated some interest. I think I would agree. He's not someone who's not fully talked about, but you know he comes into the big situations. Snicker has a lot of trust in him we saw in that last season, so I really do like that call. He's someone that you want it, and I had no idea that he even rated that high in PLV, so that's another, another point in his favor. Let's over to Chicago when we got to Wrigley Field, where we had our favorite reliever, Brandon Hughes, that we thought was the favorite for saves. Well, the comments from David Ross and some of the beat reporters has said otherwise. So I know one of us is, t- is patting ourselves on the back and taking his victory lap <laughs> a little bit earlier. But as we sit today, do we have a favorite in Chicago? We still like Hughes or are the comments steering us elsewhere at this point? Yeah, go ahead, Jake. It's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I had already been sort of steering clear of Hughes, not because I don't think he's good, but just because of the obvious that he's the only lefty in that bullpen and the fact that he's sort of not as not as tested as a veteran as Brad Boxberger and Michael Fulmer are. I think Fulmer is probably the better choice over Boxberger, and it seems like one of those two guys are going to have the chance as righties in this bullpen. I would lean Fulmer right now. I, I think he's got a pretty good shot at you know, taking over the closer role early on. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Boxberger, though. If you look at their stats over the past couple of years, they're pretty comparable. And Boxberger actually has more saves in his career. He's just older. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm leaning Fulmer here. I've been leaning Fulmer all off season. I won't take the victory lap because I'm not totally sure, sure that Fulmer will be able to hold the role. I'm not totally convinced by his skills. I could definitely see him blowing up early on and then being like, shoot, we should have just gone with Hughes. 
anyway. But yeah, I mean, think I Rick has been saying it. You guys, you guys have both been saying it that Hughes is probably the most talented of the guys in this in the running for this ninth inning role. But just his handedness is the only thing keeping him out of it, and so that's why I've got Fulmer over Boxberger and Hughes in this one. Yeah, that's probably going to be I, – I think it's got to be – if it's between Fulmer and Boxborough, it's got to be Fulmer. Um, Boxberger does have a little bit more experience, I guess, closing out games, but he really took a step backwards last year. And I think, you know, while Fulmer also did, I didn't love what Fulmer did last year, but I, I, I think there's still, you know, there's more there to um, to kind of get excited about. Uh, it's unf- I mean, the – those two are probably the least exciting arms in this in this bullpen potentially between mm-hmm. uh, um, Alzale, uh, even Julian Merriweather's had a pretty nice spring. I mean, if he I, yeah. we've talked about him before, if he ever stays healthy, he's got really nasty stuff. So, uh, and then the, the Jeremy Estrada, who is you know everyone's favorite right now. So if he when whenever he gets called up, I mean, there, there's another person to watch out for. So. I think it's probably Fulmer to start the season. Uh, if, if, I don't know if that's going to be a full season, you know, thing for him though. I don't know if he's going to last the, se- the whole season as the closer. But yeah, you, you look at their baseball savants, and it's basically the exact same. They do the exact same things well. Boxberger limits hard contact a little bit, but Fulmer does a better job of limiting barrels and gets a little bit more whiffs. So. I would agree that Fulmer is probably the favorite at this point. I'm hoping they turn to Brandon Hughes because I have a share of him in TGFBI and I'd like to be right about that. But I think the veteran, they're both veterans, but they brought in Fulmer later and I believe it's on a longer, uh, more money in terms of contract wise. So I think they give him the first crack at things, but I, I don't, I can't say for sure. This is Chicago. They have, they're not exactly the most secure uh, closer in the market. And there are a lot of names. You talk about Julian Merriweather, Albert Azulay is a guy we've been talking about all offseason as someone to monitor. Let's not forget Rowan Wick a year ago was someone people were interested in fantasy circles. He didn't have a good year and his metrics didn't exactly pretty supported that as a, an okay year. But, you know, he was all, he was, everyone was in, interested in him going into last season. It wouldn't shock me if he gets himself in this conversation. So outside of those, you know, the three in the committee, do we have like a, a next man up, a guy who can poke their head in the committee that you like the most is Azalei. Does Merriweather find his way in? Is there any other sleepers in this pen that we're not talking about that needs to be talked about? I think it's probably, you know, Tyler, Tyler Duffy signed an, an NRR, a non-roster invite contract with them. And I think I, I remember hearing he's been pitching well this spring. Um, then they were impressed with him. So, you know, Tyler Duffy was really, really, I think he was a top 10 reliever with for me on a lot of holds lists about a year and a half two years ago um if he can you know figure out what made him so successful in minnesota you know back then then that's an interesting name um but other than that it's merriweather and estrada and i, I think alzale ends up being more of a longer you know two to three inning you know think of you know your chad green type um reliever um for them so yeah, Merriweather's intriguing, and then Estrada when he gets called up and dark, dark, deep, you know, dive is Tyler Duff- Tyler Duffy. Uh, I I think I agree for the most part. There's this part of me that gets the feeling that the Cubs will only turn to someone like Alzale or Estrada if they're competitive, 
And this has been a team that sort of pinched pennies across the past couple of seasons, especially since Theo Epstein left. They they want to be competitive, but they want to do it at their their own cost or whatever. So there, there's a part of me that feels like if the Cubs are not competing for a playoff spot halfway through the season, if they if they are looking to turn over the closer role at some point, I don't think it goes straight to Azale or Estrada. I do think those guys are probably in the running for closer of the future. And if the team is really competitive, they're going to want to put the best guy in there. And that's why I'm sort of leaning towards Julian Merriweather being the next man up slash sleeper in this bullpen. Um, he just, he seems like he's, he's really good. If he can stay healthy, that has sort of been his problem across the past couple of years. He throws really hard. I think everybody remembers a couple of years ago, the, the crazy fab run that went on him when he was on the blue Jays and he seemed to get the first couple of saves there and everybody blew half of their fab money. That was like the, the first time I like, you know, when you have your first memory as a child and you're just like, that's when I became conscious. That's like when I became (laughs) conscious of uh, like fab and that kind of stuff was just, everybody blew their money on Julian Merriweather. And I was like, okay, now I'm like conscious in the fantasy baseball circle. And that, that's like the first memory I have there. But just the fact that people were so hyped on him just a couple of years ago, and now he's sort of moved into oblivion, I think gives him the opportunity to sort of do that again. Do I think it'll happen early on in the season? No, there's three guys there that are fighting for the role. I think Boxberger and Hughes probably get the next shot after Fulmer goes. But if we do get to the point where all of them are struggling and they still don't have another lefty reliever in there, and they're also not competing, I think they do give Merriweather a chance to see what he can do in the ninth. He was so good. He was so good for that one weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I would love yeah, to was, see that full time. <laughs> and, of course, it was against my New York Yankees. Just a fun fact. I remember, I remember was, watching that game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It was we extra innings. I was like, wow, it's first and third. We should score this run, right? Nope. I'm pretty sure he struck out like Glaber, Stanton, and somebody I else. Like, it was like it three, was four, judged, or five yeah. in our lineup. It might have been judged. It was like three, four, and five, two, three, something in our lineup. Where it was like, we should score this run. And we didn't. And it made me sad. <laughs> but enough about yeah I, I do think you know he was someone when we signed it kind of peaked our eyebrows raised a little bit now since they've signed Michael Fulmer they're a little bit more straight and no longer raised but I, I do think he has some intrigue at the very least for holds and one name I'll, I'll throw out before we move on Cody Hewer he's yeah. coming back from Tommy John he had it last a year, about a year ago to this point so he might not be ready until midway through the season before Circle his name, keep his name on your watch list. He's not going to immediately jump in. This is already enough of a confusing committee as is, but he's got that hard throwing stuff to be involved in holds. And if the Cubs are as good as some people think they might be, I think he finds his way into this picture a little bit. He might be the traditional eighth inning sort of guy to get it to. One of the three guys we were talking about before, but it wouldn't shock me if he pokes his head in by about midseason, just when he comes back from Tommy John. He was a pretty big part of one of those trades to White Sox. I don't remember exactly which one at this point, but he was a a piece that people were interested in when he was with Chicago with the White Sox now uh, over across, uh, across town. Yeah, so I, we'll like take the, uh, I like the Hewer. Let's say I like the Hewer call. I for- completely forgot because I think he's only going to miss about a month or two. So yeah, there's, there's some intrigue there for the second half you know, of the season, middle of the season. Yeah. We'll take our first break, and when we get back, we'll jump into further into this. We'll get into the another team in the Central, Cincinnati Reds, and continue to move on in the National League. So uh, we'll be right back. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution, and that's what makes Noom different. 
Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, let's dive into the Cincinnati Reds. And we go from one Diaz out of season to now the the leading Diaz, who for now is still a Cincinnati Red. It wouldn't shock me if he's traded. But Alexis Diaz, everyone's favorite pitcher. He has great stuff. He was dominant last year. He finally earned the job and has pretty much ran with it. But he's still outside of a top 180p, even though I'm pretty sure most of us are fairly confident he's going to be the closer for Cincinnati. So what are the concerns we have with Diaz? If he's so kind of locked in this role, why is he still being drafted outside of a top 180p? Why isn't he in with the, you know, the Clay Holmes sort of tier or David Bednar tier? Why is he still in that like a tier right after that? I, yeah, it's, I have a hard time. I guess Bednar has at least some, you know, a more of a track record than Diaz, but it's hard to justify uh, Diaz being so, you know, you know, 20 or so picks farther uh, in ADP than, than David Bednar. Cause you know, they're both pitching for bad teams. We get that. We're not expecting 40 saves out of either of them, but Diaz, I mean, I think the, the other concern with Diaz is where he pitches and, you know, Cincinnati's a band box. I mean, there's, but he, pitched there last year and he did a good job of suppressing home runs. So, you know, maybe it was a bit lucky and, you know, there's other things where I I know PLV doesn't love him, doesn't love his stuff, but I I think there's some, you know, I think there's still room to grow from him. There was a rookie season for him last year and yes, the Reds will be bad, but yeah, I I think he belongs in that Holmes Bednarts here right after the safe quote unquote um, closers go. Definitely the sort of knocks against him are pretty clear. I, I think you hit on them pretty well. Just the fact that he's on a really bad team in probably the poorest home run park in all of baseball. It's, 
it's hard to overlook that. And I think that he's not without flaws himself. He's one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball. He had a 1.84 ERA last year. He's young. That means some people sort of see that as he has room to grow. I think you can still look at his his skills and be like, oh, he walked 13% of batters last year, which is awful. He had a 33% ground ball rate, which means he's allowing a lot of fly balls in the worst home run park in all of baseball. So there there are flaws that you can sort of point to and be like, yeah, I, I could see how this goes wrong. He sort of loses control. He walks a bit too many guys. He gives up his home run to fly ball rate sort of reverts to what you would expect for somebody playing in that ballpark. And the ERA sort of comes closer to three rather than below two. And being on such a bad team, you could see like, oh, okay, 25 saves. He's got like a, a 3.15 ERA and he just like walks too many guys that his whip isn't super elite. But I, I do sort of like him this year. I think just the fact that he is going outside the top 100 bakes all of that into the price. So you really don't have to worry about all of that happening all at once and then sort of being stuck holding the bag, especially because, I mean, we're about to move into it, but there's nobody else in that bullpen. That bullpen is absolutely terrible and you can't blame it all on the ballpark, but I think it probably has to do with the pitching development there as well. They, I just feel have no confidence in really anybody in that bullpen. And it just means that he's solidified in that role and if the Reds actually surprise and win a few more games than we might have expected, and he is able to overcome the home runs in that ballpark and maybe reduces the walks a little bit, then you could see him sort of rising up the closer ranks and then actually become the next Edwin Diaz and be like a really good player on a really bad team. You don't like Reaver San Martin as a setup man there? That's, that's not the <laughs> 6.32 ERA? Not really, no. You don't like recognized guy last year or Lucas Sims? I think we uh, mentioned almost every episode last year. Last year yeah, I, that's, that just, that's honestly just an injury thing. I, he's been really disappointing across the past two years. He seemed like he was one of the next up-and-coming top closers in baseball just a couple of years ago, and he just has not been able to stay healthy. I think we thought he was going to come back after missing the first like month or so of the last season, and he ended up just tossing six and two-thirds innings last year, and they weren't good either. He had six walks to five strikeouts, so he's clearly either still dealing with something or isn't able to get his delivery down, so there's still concerns there. And like all of the factors that you sort of – put against Diaz you also have to put against Sims that he's on a bad team he's also like working from behind Diaz so it's like he's not already in the closer role and he's in that terrible park and I just don't trust the player development there I yeah I'm just I don't I can't even think of a draft that I would draft Lucas Sims in that and TJ Antone we tried so hard to make yep. a thing last year and mm-hmm. it just never did and Antone just in case you're wondering he had a PRP injection strain flexor tendon is likely to miss the start of the season I hope he becomes a thing because, boy, we kind of have touched on this. The other options in this bullpen are rough. And Alexis Diaz is the favorite for saves, obviously. And, you know, he shouldn't lose the job. If he does or if he gets traded, is Lucas Sims the guy we want? Is there anybody who we didn't mention who has any interest? Or is this just a let's move on and talk about another kind of poor bullpen in just a second? I think I think Sims is the only guy here as of now that. I have any interest in it. I mean, it's really, I mean, Buck Farmer, right? It's, um, yeah, Sims. And then when, if Anton comes back, health, I mean, if, if Diaz, Sims and Anton are all three of those guys are healthy, that's a pretty good trio. Um, 
for the Reds, especially because I mean they don't have a ton going for them right now. But they, I mean the pitch, the starting rotation could be interesting, so they could get some saves, and the team overall could get some wins from uh, if if they can really round out the back half of that that bullpen. But yeah, I think Sims is the only one that's worth even following outside of Diaz. All right, yeah, let's move over to Colorado, where we have another bullpen that's probably not going to be too worth our time. If you didn't listen a few weeks ago, we did our with their tiers, and the three of us have zero, zero interest in Daniel Bard. We think he is just a closer in Colorado. We're not interested, but he's still the clear favorite in Colorado. Is there any chance he replicates it, or are we still just full-on out on Daniel Bard with zero interest in him? Uh, uh, Jake, this is your guy. You can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my guy, yeah, your guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The opposite of my guy. This is, uh, the guy that I have been avoiding at all costs. I, this is sort of same situation as Luke Sims. I do not see a situation where I would draft Bard. I think the downside is just too high. He's really old. I mean, not even just for a baseball player. I mean, he's about to be like 37. I don't know how the Rockies signed him to an extension. Uh, yeah. 38 this year yeah Yeah. i mean they are the meme team so i guess that's the that's the point there but yeah just not only is he old not only is he pitching for a weird organization like the rockies and pitching in the worst pitcher stadium course but also i mean rick mentioned this in his uh most recent update to his closer rankings it's just i don't know if he deserved the success that he had last year i think he Definitely didn't deserve a t- sub two ERA pitching in Coors, but the the strikeout rate above twenty eight percent seemed a little high for a guy with a twelve percent swinging strike rate. So that also gives me concerns that his skills like won't play into next year. But yeah, it's just not a guy that I'm going to be interested in at all, especially because people are so enamored with the fact that he has the closer role that they'll draft him inside the top one fifty, and I I wouldn't even take the chance inside the top two hundred. So it's just not a guy that I'm going to be interested in at all. And I don't think there's anything they could say that could change. Like if they were like, uh, Daniel Bard is throwing 105 miles per hour. I still think I would be like, uh, I don't know, bro. He's probably going to get injured. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if he was throwing 105 miles per hour, he would for sure be getting injured because that's some sort of anomaly there. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think, and I want to, I heard you, uh, you and Doug Dennis on the um, podcast on the Wire podcast, and mm-hmm. he brought up a good point about how he looks for relievers who have a K minus walk percentage, you know, around tw- over twenty percent, right? And Daniel Bard's never had that had a K to walk ratio over twenty percent. Even last year, his career year, it was still eighteen percent, and that's. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just playing with fire, when, especially when you're pitching in a ballpark like Coors. So um, I can't I just there's nothing here that should that makes me think he can replicate last year's success um, outside of getting, you know, extremely lucky uh, again with when it comes to BABIP and home run luck. So, you know, the one thing I'll say is his ground ball rate did go up to 50, almost 52 percent, which is, you know, if you're not going to strike out a ton of guys and you know, you're going to pitch in that ballpark, then you, you better be getting ground balls. So that's, a, that's kind of, you know, that's gives me a little bit of a hope that maybe he won't go back to, you know, 2021 Daniel Bard where he had a 5.21 ERA, but maybe we're, maybe he's just going to settle in as a four something ERA guy. 
And he probably stays in the closer role. That's the other thing is th- there's no one here that's going to replace him. So there's a chance, you know, he he, he ends up being probably not going to go above his value, but he might have, you know, the value of where he's going. What's his ADP right now? Around one, one forty ish. So yeah, I mean, it's still high for me, but he might end up being, you know, a top 200 guy when, when all said and done. Is there anybody in this pen that we're looking at as a fallback? You say he's pretty safe with his job. But I know in previous shows, we've kind of talked about the Nelson Lamette at some point. They signed Brad hand and that's just a veteran that you could see maybe taking a job. They signed Pierce Johnson. Is there anybody we have some interest in for looking for a, a backup plan for for him, or is it just you know it's Colorado like it always is? I uh, Pierce Johnson is doesn't have a great fastball. That's my concern with him. Um, curveball has a potential plus curveball, but the fastball is just very very mediocre. Um, Lamet's interesting. Yeah, I want to see. A full season out of Lamette healthy. <clears throat> I mean, he's fall, he's still only thirty. He hasn't even he's not even thirty one yet. So I think there might be something left there. I like Justin Lawrence as a slider guy, but I don't think he's a closer necessarily. Um, and then yeah, Brad Hand is probably is we're staying away from Brad Hand. That's mm-hmm. just yeah. But he, but he has closer closer experience. So if something happens to Bard, he might be the next man up. Yeah, especially considering how much they love veterans. That's the rock. Col- I know. Colorado. <laughs> That's yeah. the rocky way right there. Yeah. yeah. I think I would have more confidence in this bullpen if they weren't playing in Colorado because I, I think it does have some potential. But not only are you dealing with cores, but you're also dealing with the whole coming from altitude and going down and like seeing your pitches perform differently. And that's sort of one of the big factors that isn't really considered in why pitchers really struggle pitching for the Rockies. But I do think that Lamette has some potential. He has touted one of the best sliders in baseball across the last few years. It sort of regressed last year, but I still think he could regain the touch on that. And it's a lot of, a lot of his skills rely on uh, different things that that sort of aren't don't really affect him in cores as much as other pitchers would. And I actually sort of like Justin Lawrence. He really hasn't pitched to any sort of success, but his delivery is really funky. It's like nearly a sidearm sort of uh, slot, and he's throwing really hard with his fastball and has a pretty solid slider. I think that's a sneaky guy. I don't think he's going to be the closer this year, but this is sort of like to me, the closer of the future, I, mm-hmm. he's just, I, when you watch him pitch, you're just like, how does anybody hit that? I know he did pitch in the WBC as well. And so that was pretty interesting to see him there. I think this is a guy that could probably be really incredible outside of Coors. He seems like a guy that would go to Tampa Bay and be like yeah. the best reliever in baseball just because they would know how to use him efficiently. But I, I think there's some upside in this bullpen. It's just difficult to see it being reached because of where they pitch. And it being the Rockies in general, like I said, it's the yes. Rockies, they just never seem to manage it, right? For all we know, Daniel Bark have one another good season. And next thing you know, he gets another three-year extension because that's mm-hmm. just what the Rockies do. I've never understood it from the beginning, but hey, if you need saves, at least you know you're getting saves with, with Colorado. It's just what ratios you're going to get along with it. But we'll stay out west and we'll go to the Los Angeles Dodgers, a team we've talked about throughout this offseason with that confusing situation. It may be a bit clearer now at this point. Evan Phillips has become the favorite, especially if Daniel Hudson actually 
going to miss the start of the season. Do you guys have the same opinion? Is he the favorite? Does he get to the 15-20 save range? Or I know Jake's been touting a certain reliever in the Dodgers too. How confident are we with Evan Phillips? Is he someone we're drafting? Or are we looking at some of the other options and taking a shot there? Yeah, I think it's it's tough to say if he'll if if, if Phillips will get to twenty saves or not, but I still think he's worth where worth the shot at his ADP in the two hundreds right now, um, just because of just being the most talented reliever probably in that. Well, say most as of last year, most talented. I think Bruce Dugratterol can have it. There's another level there for him to reach, but I think Phillips right now is the most talented reliever there and. With Daniel Hudson not ready for the opening day, he can, you know, it opens up the door for Phillips to kind of just take that role and run with it potentially. If, you know, that's if the Dodgers will let him do that. I don't, not sure if that's something they're willing to do or if they want to just strictly go with a committee all year. But I, I still like where Phillips is, you know, where he, where he is to pick 200. I mean, it's, it's worth a shot just to see how that, that plays out. This bullpen definitely has the ability to go for a committee because they have so many options here, righties and lefties alike. So I, I could definitely see that, especially because the Dodgers are sort of a forward-looking team. They're, they're analytically focused. I said this a couple of weeks ago. My only problem with Phillips is that he's only done it for one year. I know you sort of trust the Dodgers when they transform a guy into something different, but I don't know. It, there's just something about it where it's like he came out of nowhere and was literally like... I think he had the lowest ERA in all of baseball for the amount of innings that he threw. And there's just something that doesn't seem right about it, but you know, it's the Dodgers sort of have to trust them. But I think everybody knows that I've been leading with leading, leaning with Bruce Gratterall all off season. He sort of fits the mold of the guys that Rick has been saying is going to be a setup guy because he is a heavy ground ball guy, which you sort of want to use him in the high leverage situations when there's runners on base and he can get you out of a jam. That sort of seems to be what Bruzdar might be, mm-hmm. but I have touted him as like a PLV darling, a guy that has a really high swinging strikeout rate, swinging strike rate, but doesn't have a high strikeout rate. And so if he does sort of reach that next potential and start striking guys out, then maybe he does become that more prototypical closer. And on such a good team, the the upside is so high. But if you are in a safe plus hold leagues, I think Bruzdar should be like top of your list because if he doesn't get that saves role. He's getting a ton of holds, and I think holds have a much higher floor than saves because there's a lot more 20 hold guys than there are 20 save guys. So you get somebody like Bruzdar that's either going to have 25 holds or 25 saves or somewhere around there. It's I think he's just super high upside and also really safe. I remember Bruzdar Gratterall, he finally got traded to the Dodgers. All the hype around him in fantasy circles, his stuff is insane you talk about PVL, uh, plv darling i did the nastiest pitches article and he seemed like every time he went out there i was watching him to try and see if i can get a good pitch from him he's just always has that stuff that you stop what you're doing you can watch him pitch because it's so entertaining i hope he can get this job and i i do think he's definitely because it saves us holds league he's right up there we know how good the dodgers are we don't need us three to tell us that if you watch baseball you know that the dodgers are a good team but gratterall just has that incredible stuff there's some other names too, Rick. Is there anybody in the pen? I know we mentioned those two. Is there any sleepers you think can enter the conversation or someone who's not in the conversation now that you're monitoring to down the seasons? Anybody you're interested yeah. outside of these two? Yeah. Um, Alex Vezia, I mean, I don't know if they would I don't know if they would go with him. 
they have two good lefties actually in Vezzi and Caleb Ferguson. I think if they were willing to, you know, use one in a closer role, I think Vezzi would make the most sense. Um, both of those guys, though, Ver- Ferguson's coming back from from an injury. He's he's been out for a while from Tommy John, so you know it'll be interesting to see how he he recovers and bounces back from that. But he was really good before he went down, and Vezia, you know, kind of took a took a step forward last year. So I like those two guys. I know Yancy Almonte's and also he's also interesting. You know, um, a potential closer too if they really want to just you know save their best relievers for you know, high leverage roles and you can even Almonte would he he's would be a better closer than a lot of guys out there right now. Um I know there's been some hype like Shelby Miller and I don't know I don't know necessarily if I'm buying into that quite yet, but interesting. Him and Jimmy Nelson are interesting because Nelson too, he was having a pretty good year for the Dodgers before he got hurt. Um was it last year or two years ago? Um I don't know, either way, this, this bullpen top to bottom is very deep. No one really stands out, but there's no one here that's going to be that you're like afraid to turn, give the ball to really. So very deep, solid bullpen. I feel like the one guy that everybody is sleeping on is probably somebody that you have no chance of drafting and it's Alex Reyes. I think he was one of the most underrated signings of the offseason. He's got probably the most potential out of all of the relievers that were on the market after Diaz went off the board. And the fact that he went to the Dodgers who are just so great at pitcher development. And this is a guy that has struggled with, I don't know, staying healthy and throwing strikes and stuff that if he does come back healthy from the shoulder surgery, he had uh, early last season and he the closer role is still sort of undecided halfway through the season. I could see him coming in and just looking absolutely dominant and taking over that closer role for a team that is going to be competitive. So they're probably going to be looking to get any advantage they can towards the end of the season. So that's like a really sneaky one, but that's going to be a guy you put on your watch list and you sort of see how he progresses during his recovery. It's crazy how the, the relievers on their injured list right now, JP Fireeyes and Daniel mm-hmm. Hudson, Alex Reyes and Blake Trinan. I mean, that's, those are four really big names that they're missing out on. But I believe all even trining, I trying and I believe I think all of them are going to be back at some point this year. So, yeah, that bullpen's just going to get better as the year progresses. If that's even possible. So that does, you know, just even putting those four names in there, that does make the whole Evan Phillips is this great reliever and this 20 save guy. Uh-huh. As much as we like, you know, Jake likes Bruce Zargratterall. I've always been a Blake Trinan fan. I like what JP Fireisen can do. Alex Reyes was an under-radar signing that we just know can get things work. There's so, so many names in there that it's going to be such a confusing thing. We've been so, I guess, blessed for fantasy to have Craig Kimbrell at times and last year, Henley Jansen throughout his career, where we knew who the Dodgers closer it's going to be. This year, it's going to be the complete opposite. I think it's going to be a it may even be up there for Diamondbacks at some point where it's going to be four or five different guys who could easily get saves for them. And it's going to be uh, much more of a headache than we are used to with Los Angeles. So uh, keep an eye on that. And speaking of headaches, before we had the break, we'll get to the last one for this point. It's the Miami Marlins. Another one we've gone through off season. Some of us like AJ Puck. Some of us like Dylan Floro. Some of us like Matt Barnes. Some of us like Tanner Scott. As we sit here right now, who leads the Miami Marlins in the saves? And is there anybody actually worth drafting because of this confusion? Um, I'm definitely not. I'm out on Matt Barnes. I I, I just think he might be really? cooked. Yeah, I he was 
so bad last year. And then when he got traded to Miami, he seemed very like disinterested and even I don't know. Just I, I I'm not very I'm not in on Barnes this year. I I need to see the velocity come back. Um, he wasn't. He was probably not going to make the Red Sox roster. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, Floro is just the safe guy here. But uh, it's really the two lefties and Scott and Puck that I want one of those. I want one of them to take the the role here and just run with it because that's where the upside is. And I think AJ Puck probably makes the most sense. I mean, they they get JJ Blade was kind of falling out of favor there, but he's still it's a pretty good piece like that they 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 do need outfield help. So they they got rid of a moved a big piece to get Puck, and I don't think it's just to be a middle reliever. And it's you know. He's not going to be starting games for them, so it looks like they want him to to be in a high leverage, possibly a closing role. And I've I've heard like the Josh Hader comparisons, and he's not Josh Hader, but he can be pretty good. And um, that's the the guy I'm leaning towards there. I think right now, I think Floro starts the year probably because I know Puck's been slowed by injuries, and I think Scott has too. So maybe it's Flora who starts the year. He, he he ended the year as the closer, so that would make some sense. But I, I like Puck over the over the long term here. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's crazy how much of a monopoly they have on high upside left-handed relievers because they've also got Stephen Okert, who we yeah. sort of hinted at at some point earlier in the offseason because he's sort of a pitcherless projections darling. Mm-hmm. He has a very favorable favorable projection. I don't think he has any shot at being a, a closer at any point. But yeah, I've been touting AJ Puck all offseason. I think he's got tons of upside. He showed that he can survive as a closer last season, pitching high leverage for the A's and pitching in a, a very favorable ballpark with a, a bunch of other very dominant pitchers around him. I think he could advance even further. I, I don't know if it's the Marlins being really good at identifying pitching talent or if they're really good at producing pitching talent. If it's the latter, then Puck could definitely become an even better reliever. And I think he's probably the closer of the future here. The fact that he's sort of going up against Dylan Floro and Tanner Scott gives me even more confidence, to be honest. Scott has a clear flaw in that he just walks way too many guys and that has bit him plenty of times in the past. And Floro is sort of the complete opposite where he doesn't strike anybody out. So that sort of keeps him from being that dominant guy in the ninth inning. And Puck is sort of the perfect combination of the two where he's going to strike out a pretty decent amount of guys, limit the walks and limit hard contact and just be really dominant in the back of the bullpen. The only concern I have there is that he ends up being used in that early career Josh Hader role where he's a multi-inning guy, sort of Andrew Miller-esque where he's being used as a high leverage guy to get the team through a couple of tough innings in the middle of the game. But He's still the best guy in that bullpen in terms of skills, and I would love to see him take over the closer role. Yeah, they're gonna be a team to monitor. I, I do I agree. AJ Puck's my favorite in this pen. I think he just has it. I'm still not fully out on Matt Barnes. I know you say he's cooked. Maybe it's something I don't fully know yet, but they got him for a reason. They have that open pen. I, I could just see him working his way in there. So I might take a deep shot on him later. I do like your call on Stephen Okert. He's got that stuff, and you know. The fact that PL projections are so in on him did raise my eyebrow. And makes me one of the we talk about. He's not the only lefty in the pen, so maybe they throw him in some of the situations. So it's a weird situation. I don't think we. Is there anybody other sleepers? We talk about five different guys. Is there anybody who we haven't talked about? They have a bunch of pitching prospects. Is there anybody outside of the system or anything like that who we are monitoring or 
we can move on just with the with how confusing this pen is. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting names at the back end of the bullpen, but nothing. I Tommy Nance, who Oscar Brazaban. I I don't think either one is potentially going to be a closer. But yeah, maybe one of those start. They have a ton of starters, a lot of starter talent in their in their organization. So perhaps someone you know. Maybe that's where Sixto Sanchez ends up down the road in a, in a bullpen role if he can stay healthy. That that seems probably likely for him at this point. So, um, but yeah, I still think it's going to be. I think it's one of those guys and puck. I think it, I, I honestly think it's going to be one of the lefties because I, I think that's where their talent is in the, in the bullpen. So I'm pulling for puck or if Scott can you know Tanner Scott can just stop walking so many guys then you know. He has everything you want in a closer outside of the high walk rate. All right, let's get into our next break. And when we get back, we'll keep going through these National Leagues and uh, head over to some of the uh, more stable situations as we go forward. But we'll be right back here in the, in the Pen Podcast. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, next up on this list, we go into, like I said, a very stable pen. It's Devin Williams. We know he's very good. It's a clear saves guy. He's pretty much said, is there any... He's currently going with ADP 20 picks later than Josh Hader. We have different opinions on Josh Hader. We'll get to that. But is there any real difference? Should he really be going 20 picks later than uh, than Hader? Or is he just kind of like we talked about with uh, with Iglesias, as stable as they come at this point? Yeah, I didn't. I have him as my, my well, I guess now my second top closer with i mean it's weird saying that but yeah he is oh he's he's now my number two closer i think because um no one really i mean hater is the only other guy that can really touch his strikeout upside now and i just think there's less concerns with devin williams um his injuries have been kind of fluky and he had a high rock. The, the walk rate looks bad from last year, but that was really all in the first half. The second half, he was dominant. Um, I think he, he figured some, he turned, you know, figured some things out, things out, turned it around. So I don't really have too many concerns with him. I think this is a great situation. I know the Brewers might not even be a playoff team, but this is the type of team I feel that's going to win a lot of games by, you know, one or two runs because of their starting pitching. He's going to keep them in, plenty of games and then you know they'll get the ball to him late so i i really like him um as a top three closer at you know at that i don't think i could put him any lower than three right now Mm -hmm. the to answer the question about whether or not he should be going 20 picks later than josh Hader, i think 
Hater is the one that should be moving. He's coming at no discount, and that's sort of the reason why there's so much disparity between those two guys. They do seem very similar, and Williams is coming off a much better season than Hater. Hater is on a better team, has shown a, a previous higher ceiling, but I, I think you sort of have to have more faith in Williams this year, or at least equal faith in him, because he was so good last year, and he's been so good across the last three seasons is a 40% strikeout rate is not something to <laughs> joke around with. That's that's legit. Um, but I think what also makes him more, so appealing is the fact that there is not really anybody that I'm super excited about in that bullpen. I think Matt Bush, clearly the next man up, 30% strikeout rate last year. I think he was sort of underrated as a really solid reliever last year, but I don't have any fear that he's going to be sort of pushing Williams out of that role with any sort of amazing performance or something, or if Williams falters a little bit that he's going to be, you know, on the doorstep of losing his job. So there, there is stability there. And like you said, Brewers aren't going to be blowing out any teams. There's going to be plenty of save opportunities. And if the rest of that bullpen can hold the lead for Williams, he should be racking up the saves. I think like his floor right now seems like a 2.50 ERA with 30 saves and a like, 35% 35% strikeout rate. And that's like the floor. That's like yeah. the bottom. So I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to be like a top five reliever by the end of the season, basically no matter what. It's nice to make this play and simple. Williams is good. Matt Bush is the next guy up. Probably he's got the, you pay trade from for a reason last year. He's projected to be a setup man real quick. Is there any other sleeper in this bullpen or let's move on? Cause it's just that simple. Um, I still, I know he's projected to start the year in AAA, but I still like Jake Cousins. I, I, I think you know when healthy, he's he's a really he's probably not a threat to Williams, but he's a potential holds league target. Um, could be another second secondary setup man for them. And uh, Aaron Ashby, wherever when he comes back from injury, if he ends up in the bullpen, that's I mean a potential two to three inning lefty. You know, think possibly think of like early day Josh Hader with him. So that's the, those are the only two other guys that really, you know, pique my interest right now. Yeah. I'm surprised Jake cousins is going to start in triple a cause he was so good just a couple of years ago and was sort of <laughs> stopped by injuries I, last year. It's strictly because if you, and if you look at it, it's strictly because he has options and like uh, the rest of this, bull, the rest of this bullpen has no option. Like the, the mm-hmm. bottom half of this bullpen has no options left. So I think, yeah. I think he'll be up shortly, probably like probably in April, but yeah, that's, that's the only reason. Yeah. Well, I agree on Ashby. I'm one of the biggest Ashby stands out there and I'm really disappointed that he's not going to start the year healthy and that he sort of, I, I would have been having a lot of shares of him at the end of drafts. I still can't get over that four inning save he had last year where he was like perfect over four innings and struck out like 10 guys. I, that was still so crazy to me. And I, I loved having that on a lot of my fantasy squads, but yeah, I don't think he's going to be the closer of the future or even the closer this year. But I do think that in basically every league when he comes back and he's healthy and he's looking like old Aaron Ashby, I feel like he's worth the roster in every league, even if he's not starting or closing. Yeah. I know a few people on our staff who would feel the exact same way. So his stuff Mm -hmm. is just great. I really hope they find something for him because like you said, that foreign save is great. Anytime you get to watch him pitch, it's just a lot of fun. Wilver 2v New York Mets and we'll run through this one pretty quickly since we touched on at the beginning of the show. With the injury to end with Diaz, it's currently a three-headed monster between David Robertson, Adam Avino, and Brooks Raley. Currently, all three of us have David Robertson as our favorite. Am I am I wrong with that? No. I think that's how I would have it right now, yeah. 
anybody else that's going to find their way into this conversation. Any sleepers in this Mets bullpen you're taking a look at, or it's pretty much Vista 3. I like what Ottavino did last year, um, but yeah, I, I think they might just prefer him in a setup role. Uh, Drew Smith's another name I think to keep an eye on. He's... I mean, with what this bullpen looks like right now, I, I think Drew Smith's the only other name that's kind of interesting outside of those top three. What about like Steven Writings? Uh yeah. He, I mean, that's an interesting pickup they had this this was that this off season? Yeah, yeah. He mm-hmm. he throws really hard, and he yeah. was sort of a big Yankees prospect he before coming over to the Mets. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I'm not sure that he's going to be a closer this year, but the fact that there's so much uncertainty right now. Sort of like, I don't know. I feel like the Mets at this point, they're like, they're going to pull out all the stops. I don't think they'll care about raising some guy's arbitration price. And if he comes up and he's sort of got his control down and he's able to pump a bunch of strikes at 100 miles an hour, then I mean, that's a sneaky, sneaky, very, very late guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're touting all of these guys, and for all we know, Steve Cohen's going to go out and sign Zach Britton or trade for Alexis Diaz or David mm-hmm. Benard. There's going to be some be crazy. big name that's Alexis out there. Diaz. Yeah, it's going to be one. There's gonna, I don't think David Robertson's going to be the closer by season's end, whether it's out of his own performance or they go get somebody else. There will be they're another gonna, name in there. So They're going to trade for Bednar and Brian Reynolds at the same time. Just to- Why not? <laughs> Why not? Uh, it's, yeah. So we can Keep move on from that one. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Hater could be on the move for all we know. It's just, it's just what the <laughs> Mets do. They find a way to get somebody in there. So we can move on to that. And, you know, if you need more, you've listened at the beginning of the show. We can go back there as we kind of go in a little bit more in depth on that. But we'll move over to another confusing situation. East, another one we've talked about throughout this offseason. The Philadelphia Philly situation. We've all debated this all offseason. Who is the favorite closer some of us say sir anthony dominguez some of us say craig kimbrell i guess where do we stand still as our minds been changed at any point or what are we doing are we drafting a philadelphia philly for saves or is it just like we said at all season just so confusing that we want to avoid it i'm i you know i'm still kimbrell but um, very, I'm getting, I'm very fifty fifty now with Sir Anthony Dominguez, and I think Jose Alvarado is going to get a couple saves too against he- lefty heavy lineups. So I, I you know, I, I still think I want to draft one of these three or anyway, just you know, whichever one I can get later, like the latest, I guess. I mean, which is probably going to be Alvarado. I think I, I want to get you know a, a free, almost a free share of Alvarado at, at the end of drafts just to see how things play out but um as far as who's going to lead this team in saves i it's you know i i think sir anthony dominguez is creeping towards my 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 thought that kimbrell was going to i I think it's a 50 50 split between those two with alvarado mixed in my plan's working i'm i'm (laughs) convincing rick sir anthony is the guy i find myself trusting this bullpen more than i do someone like I don't know, the, the sort of back half of the third tier of closers. Like yeah. once you get down to Daniel Bard, Le- LeClerc and Lang, I found myself preferring Sir Anthony over those guys, not only because I think he's clearly better than all of them, but I do think that even if he does, doesn't take over the closer role, 
just to himself that he's still going to get like 10 to 15 saves at the very least. You have to consider that. I mean, I, I don't think Kimbrel just like completely finds himself and is the old dominant Kimbrel again, especially at 35. So I think Sir Anthony is still going to be plenty valuable, even especially in safe plus holds leagues. That's sort of the same vein as uh, Bruzar Gratterall, where it's like a guy that I like sort of late. That's, may not get the closer role. And if he doesn't, he's going to be one of the top holds relievers. So yeah, I love Sir Anthony this year. I, I just can't trust Craig Kimbrell right now. I know he was all right last year, but I, I just, I can't deal with that kind of headache. And I think Alvarado is actually going to be one of the best lefty relievers in all yeah. of baseball next year. I think you can sort of keep him in that same vein as AJ Minter, where I know I, the parallel is there just because of the handedness, but they're both incredibly dom- dominant on really good teams likely to be the second or third man up in a bullpen that uh, has a lot of guys fighting for the role. And I I just think that's going to be extremely valuable in the majority of leagues. Yeah. I think, like you said, I'm much more willing to take a shot on a Philly in this multiple monster situation. I am with the Marlins or the Diamondbacks just because of how good the Phillies are going to be. You know, you're going to be getting those saves. I'm still taking Craig Kimbrell to lead the team in saves. Like Rick, I'm tilting a little bit, but maybe not as much. I think Kimbrell still just money goes in his favor slightly, but it's going to be, you know, Kimbrell have two or three more saves. It's not going to be anything insane because he's going later. I'll, I'll just take the shot and drafts on him, but I've yet to draft either of them because there are other late closers. I'm just more willing to take the shot on, but you know, it's still, it's very interesting. And I think Dominguez is a good, Good guy. What are we doing with Gregory Soto? Is he kind of in that Alvarado, you know, dominant lefty we're interested? Or are we just kind of avoiding him? Is there anybody else in Philly that you're uh, keeping a close eye on? Or I, I, I don't like Soto coming into the situation, but I'd like. I, I think I mentioned it earlier on, on, on another podcast that what they were able to do in Philadelphia with Jose Alvarado. I think if they could, you know, tweak some things with Gregory Soto. And, you know, there, there's a ton of upside there, obviously, with how hard he throws and, you know, just the pure stuff he, he, he has. So, you know, this whole bullpen's interesting. I like kind of I kind of like everyone here in this eight man bullpen. But um, those three we've talked about, Dominguez, Alvarado and Kimbrough, the three I would focus on. And I don't I know Soto's still kind of in the closer mix, but I don't I don't think I'm gonna take any chances on him and saves only leagues yeah totally agree i think those four uh and specifically the top three in kimbrell alvarado and dominguez are probably going to dominate the uh conversation surrounding the final inning for the entirety of the year so i I really don't think there's any reason to speculate outside of that and you know just choose the favorite guy you have there and maybe take a a flyer on on a different one at the very end of a deep draft or in say plus holds leagues. But I think this is going to be a pretty, you know, positive value providing bullpen in the majority of leagues. Just don't sort of invest too heavily in in them because you you never really know what's going to happen. It could be soda. You never know. Let's stay in Pennsylvania and move over to Pittsburgh where we know for sure who the closer is going to be, at least for the first half of the season. David Bednar is the clear guy in Pittsburgh. We talked about him going in that tier with Clay Holmes, a little ahead of Alexis Diaz as well. Is he a target of ours? Are we, you know, I, I seemed like last when we talked about our tiers, we were looking at, at David Bednar as a pretty safe bet right around that top 10 at this point. Uh, are we still putting him as a target? Are we okay with getting him as our reliever one? Yeah, I think he's pretty safe. Even if he gets traded halfway through the year, I think you're still 
you know, for where he's going, if if you get a half season as as a closer for from him, I think that's still pretty good. Um, all things considered, with how volatile relievers are and closers in, in particular, um, I like him better. I think probably though in saves and holds leagues, just in case he does get moved at some point. I because outside of Brian Reynolds, he's their best trade chip right now. So, um, but yeah, I, I I'm comfortable with him, and you know either before or probably you know, before, or, you know, at the same spot as where Clay Holmes is going. So he's, he's a safe as our closer one. If you miss out on the, you know, first two, first two tiers. Yeah, totally agree. I took David Bednar and TGFBI felt pretty confident about it. I think he's going to be very solid throughout the year. Even if he does get traded, I think there is a pretty good shot that he gets traded to a team that needs a closer. We've talked about the Mets. We've talked about the Dodgers. There, there are lots of teams that have undecided ninth innings. And the fact that Bednar is such a good reliever, I think he could end up being a closer if he does get moved. But yeah, I, I, I feel pretty confident in taking him if I do miss out on like the top 10 or so guys. And this is Pittsburgh. So this may be a very simple question. Is there, if he does get moved, who's the next man per up? And is there anybody in outside of Bednar that we have any sort of interest in watching in for our, for our rosters this year? Um, Will Crow faded off, like faded pretty quickly last year. Um, he was interesting at one point. Maybe he can regain that first half magic. Uh, outside of that, it's you know Colin Holderman's interesting. Um, he did <laughs> not not a ton of like names that really pop up. Robert Stevenson's going to start the year on the IL with, with elbow issue, so. That's not great. Um, yeah, it, it's really not any. There's no one to get excited about here. I, Dwayne Underwood actually has been pitching pretty well for uh, the Dominican team and our Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe he can take a step forward this season. Yeah, I, I I think I agree. There's nobody that really stands out, and I think it's sort of a strikeout thing. Nobody really has a really high strikeout rate. But I sort of have been gaining confidence in the Pirates' pitching development that I think some guy could emerge during the season so that when Bednar does get shipped out or if he does get shipped out, you'll sort of know who's going to be the next man up. I think Will Crow was that guy in the first half of last year, and he was saving games while Bednar was injured. He really fell off in the second half, but I mean, that's the sort of vibe that you get where it's some guy is going to come out of the woodworks in the first half and really solidify himself as the second guy. And it'll be pretty clear at that point, if Bednar does go, who's going to be the next man up. All right. Well, that's makes it very, very simple here. So we'll move over to San Diego where we've talked like another guy, Josh Hader has had a lot of conversation throughout fantasy of whether or not he should be the third reliever. How much should we trust him? How concerned are you from his 2022 season? I know we've kind of gone back and forth on this, but you know, where does he kind of fall in? Is he, I know he's kind of been a void for some of us. Are we still avoiding him? Are we getting more confidence? Where do we stand on hater in this pen? Um, it's tough to say because he did turn things around, but I'm not fully bought it. I, I just think he's going to be a bit of a, a headache from year to year. And, there's going to be flashes of do- it's going to be you know seventy percent dominance and thirty percent like what is going on. I think from him, it's kind of how he's been trending. So I, I'm not fully bought into where you know he's going in drafts, but 
if he does slip to say, you know, where the rest of that second tier is being taken in the 50, 60 range, then he's, he, he's, yeah, sure. He's worth it there. But, um, you know, you're going to get probably a hundred strikeouts again from him. So you're going to get the strikeouts. That's for sure. And then, um, it's just, what are the, what are the ratios going to be? And, you know, does he stay in that role? Because the Padres are looking to win now. They're looking to win every game right now. So if if he falters even like a little bit in the beginning of the season, they could very well turn to Robert Suarez or someone outside the organization. Great points. I I have lots of confidence that Hader's going to bounce back. He just has too long of a track record of success, and the fact that it wasn't like an injury or you know a decline in velocity last year, and it just seemed like it was sort of his windup was out of whack, his release point was off, and that sort of affected so much. That seems like an easy tweak that he should be able to fix, especially with the whole like regular off season and spring training to get everything ironed out. So I do have confidence that he's going to bounce back, but. I think we should have more concern than where he is going in ADP. He's just going too early. There's no discount. I've said that countless number of times. There should be a, a bigger discount on a guy that struggled to like a five ERA last year. It's that's crazy um, that he would go that early. But the Padres are really good. Hater has a long track record of being the best closer in baseball. And if he returns to that, you're really getting a discount if you're getting him in the fourth round in like uh, 15 teamers or 12 teamers. So yeah, I I think he's going to bounce back though. I, I wish I didn't have to take him as early as you do, but. You sort of named the the next guy up. Robert Suarez was really good last year. They signed him to an extension this offseason. Uh, it wasn't really an extension. They they just sort of signed him before he hit the open market. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's clearly the next guy up. And like you said, Padres are looking to be competitive. If Hader falters again, I think you could very easily see them moving off of him like super early on and just letting Suarez take on that role because he is a guy that has the ability to be really dominant throughout the year. And the rest of that bullpen could sort of handle, uh, you know, everybody moving up a rung on the ladder. So I, I'd feel pretty confident that Suarez would be the next guy. And I'm, I'm not totally sure about sleepers. How, uh, who do you got on your list of sleepers? Um, there isn't a ton here because it's a lot of veteran names. I mean, Drew Pomeranz, see how he, I'm interested to see how he bounces back after missing all of last year. He is, he, he was one of looking, looking like one of the better relievers in baseball before the injury. Um, Luis Garcia, another good reliever, but I think Suarez is still a step ahead of him. And then, you know, I, what's Adrian Morjon? What's his, what's his um, role going to be? Is he going to be a starter? If he, if he ends up in the bullpen, he's interesting. Gives him another lefty. Um, you know, outside of that, I see like, I mean, an old name that's interesting, Michael Baez um, and AAA, if he can put things together. But yeah, it's, it's, there's not a ton of real sleepers here, in my opinion, unless you have one. No, not at all. Yeah, that's they've they they I mean they shipped off the whole farm system pretty much to get the roster mm-hmm. where it is. So it's this is where imagine if they still had Munoz. I know, I'd be so him and Hater. That yeah. would be insane. Yeah, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. And what you said about Suarez, I would agree. I think Suarez becomes a pretty. I don't know if he's fully up to the mentor uh, level, but he's someone I will absolutely target and saves plus holes just with uh, how good San Diego is going to be. He seems to be the clear next guy. So that makes him an immediate target. But like I said, this bullpen's pretty straightforward. We know who the guy is. We know who the next man up is and the sleepers are 
few and far between. It's just, you know, and you know what San Diego does. If he falters, like you said, it may not be Suarez. It may be, hey, we're going to go trade for somebody. Like we said also, so maybe Alexis Diaz or David Bednar will end up in San Diego for all we know. That's just what the Padres are doing at this point. They're going all in to win, and it means that it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, interesting time in San Diego. But I would... Say inside of Jake, I'm not. I haven't tar- I haven't drafted the hater yet, but I'm okay where he's going. I think he's going to be bouncing back. I was pretty comfortable with what I saw in September, making him a not a target, but someone who I'm fine drafting where he's going. But likely will draft other players around him, so I don't have as much concern as you guys. But you know what? It's it's going to be interesting to see. And maybe now that he's number two reliever, he might go up to a point where I'm uncomfortable with. But where he's currently going, I'm okay with. Let's move or say out west and go to the San Francisco Giants, where Camilo Duvall seems to be the clear guy. And boy, did he look good! He was a guy who had, uh, I believe Jake, you're the one who texted us saying how good he looks and how dominant he looks for that was uh, Rick. a Rick. Yeah, it was a. Uh, and now I'm bl- it's Dominican Republic. He's pitching for right. I'm mis- I'm mistaken. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was last night in the against yeah Puerto Rico. Yeah, he looked incredible. So that gets us very excited and. You know, he's going at a, a fair spot. He's, I believe, four right around that you know same tier we've been talking about the David Bednar, Clay Holmes tier, right around pick one hundred. His stuff is dominant, but should he be going that early? Are we so sure he's going to get that twenty five to thirty saves that you'll probably need if you're going to take him at that point? I'm starting. I mean, I, I'm concerned still because of just the track record of Rocco Bell, um, not Rocco Bell, Telly, Gabe Kapler, getting my Red Sox, former Red Sox outfielders confused. Former Rays outfielders. <laughs> former Rays, I mean, yeah, that too. Oh. Uh, so, um, yeah, I just, you know, Taylor Rogers, I feel is just, he's just, I know he struggled last year, but he's really, he's a really good reliever. He's too good to almost like not factor into saves. So I, I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of a committee here, which limits Duvall to maybe, maybe Duvall's, so if you're talking about a, a split between Duvall and Rogers, similar to say Helsley and Gallegos, I don't think Duvall is quite at the level of Ryan Helsley to, 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 you know, justify where he's getting drafted right now, which is, you know, about 10, not, maybe not even 10 picks later than Helsley. I still think it's a little too early. Um, I'm definitely in like on di- in dynasty leagues or in safe plus hold leagues. I'm definitely, you know, in on Duvall right now, but, for save only leagues, I still think it's a little bit the price is a little bit too high, despite the um the potential he carries. Yeah, he's clearly one of the most talented relievers in baseball, and he's probably got a very bright future ahead of him as long as he stays healthy. But to answer the question, is he going to get 30 plus saves this year? He didn't get 30 saves last year, and that was when he was sort of the only guy in that bullpen. Jake McGee was fighting with him earlier in the offseason or earlier in the season, and he fell off really quickly and Duvall still only ended up with 27 saves. I don't know if that's uh, due to the Giants not presenting enough save situations or if it's just uh, a a factor that happens when Gabe Kapler is sort of going to spread the role around and use Duvall when he needs to. And now the fact that you bring in somebody like Taylor Rogers, who has history, who has uh, experience in the role and is better than a lot of the relievers they've had over the past few seasons that definitely mur- murkies up the water, muddies up the water even further. And I think the fact that also that he's a lefty makes it even wor- a, even a worse situation for Duvall. 
because it's just so easy to split the save situations there versus righties and lefties. I feel like Doval's probably going to have a ceiling of like 25 saves, even if Rogers doesn't end up splitting the saves. Cause I think they're going to use him in some sort of role that, that prevents him from getting every single save. So I definitely feel like the most likely situation is 10 saves for Rogers and 25 for Doval, but I could see it being even closer, like 20 for each of them or, or in something like that. But there, I don't think Doval has the clear hold over this role and it's sort of, misguided to take him inside the top 100 close to all of these other guys that are maybe more talented than he is and have a clearer role to the to a clearer path to the role um but yeah i mean that's that's coming from a giants fan that that's watched this team and sort of knows how they've been using doval and how they've been treating doval i just don't feel like they have confidence in him but i don't feel like they want to use him as the sole guy there because he's so dominant you can use him whenever you need to yeah, and the fact that they have the the Rogers twins always just a concern. I, I like Duvall; his stuff is great. I think Rogers gets more saves, and he's going to. And we're kind of looking into it right now. We're looking at the fan drafts projections. They only have Taylor Rogers projected for two saves. I think that's a clear over. I think the way he said the twenty five ten split sounds about right. He, the Giants tried to do this last year with Jake McGee, and just Jake McGee was not really that good with it. Taylor Rogers is a clear upgrade for that. And while Duvall is uh, is the closer at this point, I could see him going reverting back just because, like I said, it is Gabe Kapler. But outside of these two, is there anybody that we should keep an eye out for San Francisco just because this is the bullpen that we know just likes to mix and match and they eventually, you know, come back and come out of nowhere in this. Is there anybody you have an eye on? I don't really see anything here. Um, you know, maybe when Luke Jackson gets back, um, see how he return, how he comes back from Tommy John. But there's not a ton here outside of those two um, for me. I'll, I'll give, I'll hand it over to the resident Giants uh, guy, Jake. Sure. Yeah, I totally. I think I agree that there's really not too many options here. This is a team that sort of has taken the raise route of grabbing the garbage heap of relievers and trying to turn them into somebody serviceable. And so that doesn't really lend itself to clear sleepers. They don't really have a bunch of prospects. There's like Cole Waits, who's a a prospect, but I'm not totally sure what kind of pitcher he's going to be. His slider isn't that great and he uses his four seamer like 70% of the time. And outside of that, they just got like 15 non-roster invitees that I'm not totally sure who they feel the most confident about. Uh, I've liked Sean Newcomb in the past. Mauricio Lovera was sort of a, a starter turn reliever, but I just, the, the fact that there's two clear guys here sort of makes it hard to choose a sleeper that would be able to leapfrog either of those two guys, especially because the rest of the bullpen is sort of low upside uh, former starters or, or soft tossing relievers like Tyler Rogers. So I don't really see any clear sleepers here that I would be targeting at any point in any kind of draft. That's what we like to hear. That's going to be a little bit of a, a clear bullpen in San Francisco when we're used to. So let's hope so. I'm targeting Taylor Rodgers. I'll say that right now. I think saves holds league. He's right up there in that same AJ Minter sort of a realm. Very good left-hander. He's going to get plenty of opportunities. I'm definitely interested in those sorts of leagues and deeper leagues. But over to St. Louis where Ryan Helsley is in that second tier. He's completely dominant. He had an amazing year last year. There's no denying that. 
are we sh- we talked about it before are we sure he should be that point is he gonna be held back or is he finally get that 20 plus saves that we like you know what's your view on helsley and, and while i'm talking about we know who the next guy up is gonna be gallegos is gallegos going a little bit undervalued because of that so i think with helsley i still the price is a little bit too high for me right now with you know just like I mean, Gallegos is going to factor in one way or another. So for 19 saves, which is what Helsley ended up with last year, is that worth a top 70 pick? I mean, it it is, I guess, if you were counting on him repeating, you know, the ERA weapon strikeout totals that like he gave you last year. But and while the skill set does like, you know, lead to there being some, you know, hope that that can be repeated. It's, it's, I mean, he was so good last year. I don't, you know, that's, it's, there's still going to be some luck involved. So it's tough to, to justify where taking him, where he's going. If it's a little bit later, um, I know in my TGFBI draft, he slipped to almost around pick 100 and I was about to take him. And I think I got sniped um, like a few picks earlier, but Gallegos, I think is the guy to take a shot on late in drafts similar like you said taylor rogers it's it's um you know he might not be getting 30 saves but he's gonna get you you know 10 plus saves and give you good ratios and you know a good amount of strikeouts so i think i'm more leaning towards gallegos in this bullpen than helsley just based on where their adp is right now yeah you can really see the parallels between the Cardinals bullpen and the Mariners bullpen and the Giants bullpen where they have like the one big flamethrower who didn't get a ton of saves last year and they have the sort of solid guy who has more history with the role and yeah I've sort of been avoiding guys like that I sort of like Munoz better than all of them I think he's got stuff that's very similar to Helsley and Duvall and he's going much later than them so I think that's the whole thing is like the ADP of Helsley I think Gallegos, like you said, is going to factor into that role no matter what. And it, it just depends on how heavily he will. I think we could see Helsley reach 20 saves, but the fact that his ceiling is capped because of the way that they use that bullpen sort of has me shying away from taking him inside the top 100. I'm completely on board with you guys. I, I'm, I haven't drafted Helsley anywhere. I don't think I'm going to just because of his concerns. It's just there's the Cardinals are very qu- quick to switch. I see they did it with Giovanni Gallegos. They moved on from him quickly to, pretty quickly to get to Helsley and they can easily do it the other way around. So uh, I would completely agree. Helsley is a you know fade for me and Gallegos is just like Rick said, a full-on late value. But is there anybody else, uh, we know Gallegos thinks about that. Is there anybody a sleeper in this Cardinal pen? Jordan Hicks is a name that I'm just never going to fully get off board of. He's started throwing and I think they're finally committed to making him just a reliever, which they should have been doing in the first place because you don't move a guy with that good of a fastball at 100 miles an hour to a starter that often. So anywhere, anybody else in this bullpen you kind of think is a sleeper? Yeah, I mean, Hick, Hicks and Palante and even Cabrera mm-hmm. to a little... I mean, I don't... Cabrera's got some issues, but those guys, all three of them have really, really good, you know, fastball potential with their, you know, just based off velocity. So um, those three are someone... are names to keep in mind. Um, beyond that, not a ton going on here. Um, you know, don't pretty much out on Chris Stratton at this point. So, yeah, it's... It's really Helsley, Gallegos, and then the next three of Palante, Hicks, and Cabrera. 
Yeah, Hicks has been that guy for me for a while now. I think everybody knows how crazy his fastball, his sinker is. Um, and the, the fact that he struggled last year, you can sort of blame on them trying to turn him into a starter, which is still so mm-hmm. weird to me. I have no idea mm-hmm. why they did that. But if he can get back into a regular role, like a regular rhythm of being a reliever, I think he could definitely factor into the uh, end of ball games in St. Louis just because that fastball is so dominant. It induces so many ground balls. Um, he's not like a big strikeout guy, sort of in the same vein as Bruce Dark Gratterall, where he just like, seems to have strikeout stuff, but just doesn't attain that. He's a guy that has a low swinging strike rate, so you can't really see him reaching a a higher ceiling with that strikeout rate, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think if Helsley sort of reverts back to what he was prior to last year and Gallegos sort of starts seeing the regression of of age hit him, then Hicks is the clear next man up, and I think he's got a pretty high ceiling for how dominant his stuff is. It's all about health there. Yep, completely agree. It's... I don't get what picks. It's like the Reds tried to make a role as Chapman a starter when the Yankees were doing that job at Chamberlain. You always find a guy with just that dominant mm-hmm. fastball that you try and make a start and it's just like, just leave him in the pen. It works. And, and so hopefully Bard for the Red Sox. Daniel Bard. Yeah, I completely, <laughs> yeah. I almost forgot all about uh-huh. that. He's a boss and that's a, it just doesn't make sense to me when they just flip flop back and forth and they can't commit to it. Just find a spot, maybe try it once, but this has been like two or three times. Both these guys have been tried to make a starter and it just didn't work out. But yeah, this is a, a good bullpen on a very good team. So I'm excited to see what uh, come up there. Hopefully he can work his way up there and become a guy you keep an eye on and go target to get some holds for you. And lastly, we'll wrap it up out in nation's capital in Washington. Kyle Finnegan seems to be the guy or at least the guy that's being drafted the most early in Washington. But I think all three of us are kind of fading him. Why, do, are we right to just fade him? Why is he really... Can we explain why he's really going where he's going in drafts? Yeah, I don't. I I know it's not like, I mean, we're talking about pick 220 or something, and that shouldn't be considered too high. But when it comes to relievers, and I, I mean, there's just a lot of other options going after him that seem not just like high, obviously higher upside, but also just safer because, I mean, there's been reports. It's been reports for the last few weeks and another report yesterday that you know, Finnegan's been told by Dave Martinez, man, their manager, you know, he, you're going to be using more of a fireman role than a closer. So as a closer. And if that's the case, if, if he's not closing on every game, I have almost no interest in him in the standard league. I mean, maybe not even a saves holds league. I, the skills are OK. I mean, he had a career high 17.9 percent K to walk rate last year and his career rate is 14.3. Um you know, he has a good fastball velocity. That's about, I mean, that's really the only part, like that's, that's the only thing that really gets me excited about him is there's, you know, maybe with that fastball velocity, he can, you know, maybe his slider and split finger as a, as a result can get better, but he just threw, he's threw almost 80% fastballs last year, sinkers and 97 miles per hour, which is good. It's a good pitch, but like as a closer, I don't, I just think there's more talented options, not just in this bullpen, but like around the league as well. Mm -hmm. I think you painted a picture of a reliever that isn't bad, but doesn't really stand out in any way that makes you want to target him for his upside at the end of drafts. And if you add in the uncertainty with his role, they do end up using him as a sort of fireman. 
that just makes him like not valuable at all. This team is going to be in the running for the worst team in baseball. I think they might clearly be the worst team oh, in yeah. the national league. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if, if you got a guy that's like a solid reliever, he's not bad at all. He's pretty good, but is not going to like reach another level. Isn't going to strike out 30% of guys. Isn't going to have like a sub three ERA and may not be getting the majority of the team saves. That just seems, that just seems disastrous. Like to just, take him at any point i think if he's like the last pick in your draft and like you're like wow i can't believe finnegan has fallen post pick 300 then yeah i take the shot like he might get you 10 to 15 saves he might get you 20 plus saves but he's just not going to be like improving your ratios incredibly or or racking up strikeouts every week that you didn't see coming i think he's just like a serviceable guy that's on a really terrible team and that's just not exciting at all yeah i agree it's not someone i'm targeting for all those reasons and if you've listened to us long enough, we know who we think our the next man up is, who we have some interest in. But <laughs> let's tout, let's wax poetic about him one more time before we wrap up the show. Why do we like Hunter Harvey so much? I'm just banking on. Well, first of all, he needs to stay healthy. We need a full year from him, and he we got thirty. I think it was thirty nine innings from him last year, which is a good start. And you know the fastball velocity still was there. So now it's okay. Where what what what's the secondary? He needs a, he needs to develop a secondary pitch that he can rely on as his number two. And if and if he can with the fastball he has, I mean, he I think should be the closer here. And there's already they're already talking about. There's already been talk of him being the closer to start the season with Finnegan being in that fireman role. So you know, I I really think Carvey is the better so like person to target here and you can get him free in most drafts and unless you're in a 15 teamer then you might have to spend a late round pick on him but um it's not going to cost you much and you know finnegan and where he's going it's just it's just not worth it from where you can get harvey yeah big big fastball on harvey high upside injury prone guy uh with somewhat of an opening in washington i feel like that sort of makes the argument for itself there it's just uh throw a dart at him see if it see if it works out for the first couple of weeks of the season and if you really don't see it going anywhere that you're comfortable with and just get rid of him you know you're, you're not drafting him super high or anything exactly look at the names that are around him as possible next man up carl edwards jr rosimo ramirez alex Colome, <laughs> mason thompson None of these names really stand out. So I, I think that Hunter Harvey is a, a great flyer to take late. How many saves can you actually get in Washington? Probably not too many, yeah. but we know these saves in Roto League especially are valuable. And if he becomes the lead guy, even in a bad bullpen, when you can, like Jake said, he's free. If you want to take a shot, great. If it doesn't work out, you're two weeks in the season. You cut and you pick up the next reliever that you want to. So if there's no reason not to take that as a flyer. So I'm I'm fully on board with that. I think that's a a lot great guy you want to look into to wrap up the drafts and wrap up this episode on as we go through the National League. There's a lot to talk about, clearly. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on moving forward. I know Jake and I, we just had our Earth League drafts recently. He's in Barf out in the Bay Area. I'm in Turf in the Turnpike. Uh New Jersey, New York area. Rick has an exciting draft coming up this week. Going to be drafting in Tout Wars. So we list him the uh, 
this that's this weekend right or is that next weekend yeah that's that's coming up this sunday morning and you know with edwin diaz being out now it's like i don't even know like that just limits the field of closer like you know solid closers you can select in nl only leagues so that's yeah it's gonna be something to uh you know i don't know i don't know where i'm gonna go for for saves in that league yeah, and outside of that, you will be drafting, uh, or not drafting, updating the rankings and getting those released. When can we expect, uh, our listeners expect the, uh, or those are already out, especially with the rankings for, uh, for the site? Uh, yeah, release the closer, updated closer ranks yesterday, Tuesday. So, uh, as you're listening to this on uh, Friday or later, it was before the Edwin Diaz injury. Um, I guess everyone pretty much moves up and, you know, David Robertson slots into probably the third tier on that list. Um, but yeah. And then holds and saves plus holds ranks are also going to be out this week as well. A lot of good stuff to look forward to on the site. Jake, I'm sure is going to have some exciting article coming down the pipeline. What are you, anything, anything good you're working on Jake moving forward at this point? Yeah, I'm ranking the rule five draft picks. So, i'm not sure how fantasy relevant that's going to be i'm hoping that i'm hoping that it turns into something interesting rule five draft picks are really just like throw things up throw (laughs) things up in the air and see what you can shoot out of the air but yeah you rarely have success out of there but yeah working on that Uh, article tonight i was going to mention with the last team of the washington nationals and thad ward was a red sox Uh an ex red sox prospect who i think could be a a legit late inning reliever with his fastball curveball combination. So that's an interesting name there for roll five. As far as roll five guys go. Look, we talk about relievers for a weekly podcast. We're for the Kings <laughs> of the throw stuff the wall and see what sticks strategy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah exactly. I think we're, we're pretty good to be doing something like that. And that, then there's me. I'll just be hosting this show and, uh, Yep, continue with my drafts. Uh, we look forward to next week where hopefully we don't have any more, injuries to go into and it'll be our final preseason episode which is uh pretty crazy to think i mean, it was uh beginning to wonder when we'd ever get to this point so hopefully we don't have too many injuries to go through and we'll get into our predictions we reckon i did this last year and it's a lot of fun we want to see which one of us can get the uh, the most picks right in terms of divisions things like that we'll have an article on the site but we want to get some insight and of course we'll tie in some bullpen stuff in that to stick with our themes so all that and more coming up on moving forward as on in the pen podcast.